chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the text up on the screens behind me in just a little bit. Uh, we also have some uh, physical Bibles scattered around the room and the racks beneath the seats. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we would invite you to take that one home. The reason for that is actually really simple. We, we believe that God's Word is valuable, that, it, that He uses it in an effectual way to uh, draw us to repentance, to convict us of sin, to help us see Himself. And, uh, and so if, if you're the type of person who wants to know God, the best place He's given us to find Him is through His Word. And so um, the most valuable thing you can be doing is reading it. And so if you don't have one, take that one. I mean, I know it's small print and stuff. We, we were on a budget, but I mean... If you want a nice one, I hear there's a lost and found out in the hallway. Scratch your name off and you got a nice Bible, right? Um, they're not using it. Uh, Genesis 25. So we're rolling now through a series that we've been in for about six weeks now called The Story of God. And if you're new, uh, the premise is incredibly simple. Uh, we believe that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Not just the New Testament, not just the Messianic prophecy stuff towards the end of the Old Testament that was promising his coming. We believe the whole Bible is about Jesus. Like even the story of Adam and Moses and Isaiah and King David and all those stories. And we're in good company because Jesus himself thinks so too. He told a couple of his followers exactly that in Luke 24. Uh, the, the first Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, uh, Jesus is walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about a seven-mile hike uh, with a couple of his followers. And they don't know it's him because he's disguised himself, the text tells us. And in that conversation, he like, gets on to them because they didn't like, understand that this whole thing was supposed to go down the way it went down. Like, they should have known better if they had read their, read their Bibles better. Uh, but after he gets on to them, for the rest of that, that seven-mile walk, he, the Bible tells us that he explains to them all the things in Moses and the prophets concerning himself. Like Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so that's, that's not messianic prophecy. That's the stories of Adam and Abraham and Noah and his family and all that. And so uh, what we're doing is pretty simple. We're taking a walk through the Old Testament, through the major characters of the Old Testament, and trying to answer the question, how does their story teach me about the much larger and much more beautiful story of God, all right? Uh, but that's a big question, all right? That's something that doesn't just come intuitively, and so we've taken up the practice of breaking it down into four smaller questions, and those questions are this. How was this person raised up? What made this person a seemingly bad choice? What did God do to redeem them? And then finally, how does their story preach the gospel? And our hope is that in answering those four questions well, we'll put ourselves in a really easy place to answer the much larger story of God question. So you all ready to uh, look at the story of Jacob this morning? All right. I'm the guy with the head mic. We're doing it anyways. All right. <laughs> Jacob, let's figure our guy out. He's Adam's grandson, nicknamed the cheater. A decent wrestler, maybe? All right, question number one. How is this person raised up? Genesis chapter 25. We're going to read a lot today, so get ready. Verse 19 is where we're going to start. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah was conceived. Uh, and, excuse me, and Rebekah conceived, not was conceived. There's a difference in that. 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. 
When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Right? Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name uh, was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so Abraham has a son, and that son has a couple of sons, Esau and Jacob, right? All right, so it's a pretty simple story. Uh, what was started with Abraham in Genesis 12, that he was going to make him a great nation. Abraham just has the one kid, kind of, right, according to the covenant promise. He's got all these other kids, but it all funnels through Isaac. And then all of a sudden, we're starting to see some multiplication here. All right, Jacob and Esau are born to Isaac. In case you haven't been here the last few weeks, we've learned that being born as a son into this family line carries with it some privileges, right? They're the children of promise. We talked last week about the fact that Isaac was blessed by God in an absolutely massive way. But here, we're told that Rebecca becomes pregnant, and there seems like there's some complications with the pregnancy, right? So she prays and asks God what's going on, and he tells her that two nations are warring within her. Two nations within you shall be divided. Newsflash, two brothers are going to fight a lot. Right? So probably at a level higher than what most of us experience. But like no one's shocked by this. Two nations within you shall be divided. But he also tells her that the older son will serve the younger son. And that's completely backwards with the way things worked in their culture, right? That's pretty much backwards with the way things work in every culture. Like, I don't know if you know this, but I have a younger brother, Matthew. He's two years younger than me. There you go. Some of you didn't know that. And if Matthew Woodard were in this room, I'd be looking for a way to knock him down a few pegs. You think I'm wrong for that? Why would I do that? For the good of Matthew Woodard, that's why. That's the way the world works. That's just the way the world works. It's the job of the older brother to kind of kick his little brother in the rear every once in a while. But there's this fact that God's kingdom is intentionally upside down from the rest of this world. So it doesn't matter what's normal. God is going to do things as he pleases. And so the birth narrative rolls out and you get this weird story about Esau being born first, but Jacob clinging to his heel. That's a weird story. And so Esau is given a name consistent with, with the, his circumstances of his birth. Jacob is given a name that's consistent with his. The name Jacob literally means he who takes by the heel. He who takes by the heel. But while it has a literal definition, in their culture it also has a colloquial one. It also means the cheater. Jacob is named the cheater. And Jacob totally owned that name. Like he deserved it all day, every day. And now we get to look at question number two. What made Jacob a seemingly bad choice? Maybe he came by the cheater, honestly. Verse, chapter 25, look at verse 29. 
Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom kind of sounds like the Hebrew word for red. All right. Uh, So 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay, so Esau did ex- isn't exactly like the brightest guy here. But Jacob isn't sinless either, right? What, what happens? Esau comes in from the field. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's real hungry. And he wants some of what Jacob is cooking. And so Jacob convinces him to sell him his birthright. Now, what's a birthright? Well, it's twofold, right? One, it's, it's the inheritance. We've talked a lot about the inheritance in the last several weeks, right? Uh, and so in this culture, that, that just kind of naturally passes to the eldest son, and, and the rest of the family just kind of gets the, the last little bits kind of divided amongst them. Right? So all this kind of stuff would have been naturally belonging to Esau because of his position as the eldest. And so that's lumped into the deal here. But it's not just an inheritance. It's also the role as leader of the family. That also naturally falls to the eldest son. That when daddy dies, the the guy who's now in charge of the family becomes the eldest son. And for the cost of a bowl of peas and a loaf of bread, Esau sells it off. Like, you've heard of not, like, going to the grocery store on an empty stomach. Maybe also don't make massive financial decisions on one either. <laughs> Wasn't a wise idea. It's got to be one of the most expensive lunches ever. But unless you're thinking, oh, boys will be boys, this is the minor story. Look what happens in Genesis 27. Verse 1. This is a few years later. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his elder son and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Verse 5, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before, I, bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare, them, uh, pre- prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Verse 11. Uh, but Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and, be, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So he went and took them, and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, older son, uh, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands, and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And so he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, where are you, my son? 
Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. So he's bringing God in on this now. No, no chance that goes badly. All right, verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but his hands, the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered him, I am. And then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. And so he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Verse 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And so he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of all the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it into his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that that you may bless me. Verse 32, his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Verse 36, Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all of his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and with wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing of which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's a fun story. Sounds like a daytime soap opera, right? So the level of work that goes into pulling off this con is just downright amazing. Right? Rebecca hears Isaac's plan to bless his eldest son, which would have been absolutely normal in that culture. She hears it, and then she helps, I, uh, helps Jacob cook up a plan to steal it. And I mean that pun literally. Cook up a plan to steal it. They, they slaughter a couple of goats. They make daddy's favorite meal. They put on some of Esau's clothing. They even go to the trouble of gluing some goat hair on his skin. The level of work that goes into pulling off this con is unbelievable. And the fact that Jacob falls for this, or Isaac falls for this, leaves me kind of confused about just how blind he actually is. Sounds like Jacob's voice. 
smells like Esau's clothes. He keeps, te- keeps telling me he's Esau. This whole thing just seems like a bad SNL sketch, right? But it works. The whole thing works. And Jacob tricks his father into giving him the blessing that belonged to his elder brother. Now, this, we're not too familiar with the practice of giving a blessing in our culture, right? I mean, we're mostly Americans, those of us who aren't, got here a long time ago and been hanging out a while. We're all Westerners. We struggle to, to think that a father speaking words over his son is actually going to bring anything to fruition. It's just not the way our culture is made up. But it mattered to them. And no matter where we land on the spectrum of, no, that could never happen, or, well, I just don't understand it like they do. Maybe there's some truth to that. I'll just have to watch from the sidelines. No matter where we land in that spectrum, what we need to see is that Esau is very upset by this. That the blessing of his father is going to be a direct direct impact on his success in the long term. And when Isaac and Esau figured out what Jacob has done, Esau's response tells us everything. Is he not rightly named Jacob? The cheater has struck again. The cheater has struck again, but that's not all Esau says. He also says he's going to kill him. And he's not talking figuratively. He, he means that he's going to murder his brother. And so look at verse 42. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. And stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why, why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? All right, so uh, Rebekah convinces Isaac to send Jacob away, right? And I think it's probably true uh, that she, I think what she's saying about the Hittite women is probably true for her. She loathes them. Right? She's, she's not a Hittite herself. Remember, uh, we talked even last week about the story of Isaac and Abraham sends his servant off to the land of his kinsmen to bring a wife back, Rebecca herself, back from their land because they didn't want to marry uh, within the, the ethnic group of that land. And so I think there's probably a level of racism here, but gosh darn it, isn't it convenient? They find a way for Jacob to get out of trouble. But not just get out of trouble. Isaac calls him to himself, gives him another blessing, and sends him out with provision to go find a wife for himself. And so instead of Jacob looking like he's running away from the problems he's created for himself, the cheater strikes again. Not only does he get out scot-free, he gets out with a bunch of stuff. <laughs> if my little brother did that, we'd have a conversation. 
Jacob heads off to Uncle Laban's house to find himself a wife. But now we need to hit the fast forward button. Mostly because we're told way more about Jacob's life than we could possibly have time to look into today. But also because we're going to look at most of this part of the story next week with our next character. But let me uh, give you the highlights real quick in my own words. Um, On his way to his uncle Laban's house, Jacob runs into a girl named Rachel. And Rachel is pretty. Like really pretty. Jacob likes what he sees. He wants to marry her. Rachel is Laban's daughter. All right? And so they, uh, he works out a deal with his future father-in-law to work for Laban for seven years in order to earn the right to marry Rachel. All right? And so he gets to work. And the Bible tells us at one point that those years just kind of fly by. He, he says that they seemed like nothing to me, which is bleh. All right? All right. So Jacob works and he works and he works and he works and works and those seven years pass and now it's time to marry Rachel. The wedding is about to happen. And in this culture, we need to like lock this down all right? because our culture is different and, well, it causes complications when we read the story. In this culture, the culture of Jacob, a wedding is not a ceremony. They have no idea what you're talking about when you're talking about a wedding ceremony. It's a consummation. Which means, in their head, when you fulfill the marriage act, you're married. And so the story rolls out that on the night of the event, Laban slips Rachel's elder sister Leah into the tent instead of Rachel. It's dark, so you know. And the cheater has been cheated against. Starting to see a pattern in the life of Jacob here? And so Laban tricks him. He's got this excuse that, oh, it's uncommon in our culture to marry off the youngest daughter before the eldest daughter. That's, that's nothing. Laban's just coming up with an excuse. Laban has tricked him. But Jacob really wants to marry Rachel. And so he agrees to work another seven years for her. And so now Jacob has two wives. What could possibly go wrong with that? (laughs) Jacob ends up having 11 of his 13 kids during this time period. And then after working for Laban for over a, a decade, over 14 years, he decides it's time to go home, right? And so he's worked hard. Uh, he's worked his tail off for Laban. Laban has uh, been very prosperous under Jacob's headship of his flock. And so Jacob is just kind of taking care of things for Laban. And so they come to an agreement that, uh, that, that Jacob needs to leave with something. And so they come to the agreement that all the sheep that look a certain way are going to belong to Jacob. And all the sheep that look a different way are going to belong to Laban. And so what does Laban do? He takes all the sheep that would have belonged to Jacob... And he makes them disappear. In fact, he sends them with his sons uh, several days' journey away, the Bible tells us. Cheater has been cheated again. But you don't earn a name like Jacob without having a few of your own tricks up your sleeve. So what does he do? He pulls out some really weird animal husbandry practices. And he manipulates Laban's herd so that all of the best and strongest sheep will look like the ones that will belong to him. The cheater strikes back. 
Jacob ends up walking away with a major chunk of everything Laban owns. It's a cool story. Go read it for yourself later. Chapters 27 through 31 of Genesis. But why do we skip all that stuff? Because it's on his way back to Canaan that we get to answer question number three. Jacob is married. He's got a giant family. He's become quite wealthy. He's made a name for himself. He left with nothing. Now he's headed home as a somebody. It's a big deal, right? Well, Genesis 32. What did God do to redeem him? Verse 22, that same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children across the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men. So it's been God this whole time, right? And have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there, was, there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So Jacob wrestles with God. And right away, with, I can just assume this is J.B. and Garrett's favorite verse of the Bible. Jacob wrestled with God. You know they're trying to imagine right now what God's signature move is. A lot of people take this to mean, like they want to read this in a metaphorical sense. But Moses, the writer of Genesis, is talking literally here. He wrestled with God. The Bible says, all night. Do you think it was because they were evenly matched? <laughs> when I say it out loud like that, you... Right, yeah, obviously not. So what's going on here? It's a divine appointment, right? God is using this for a teachable moment. He stretched out this, this interaction in order to teach Jacob something. But Jacob only sees his side of things, right? And so he's, he refuses to let go until he's given a blessing. Which is hilarious, right? Because the moment God wants to shut this down, it's getting shut down, right? But God has allowed it to go on this long. And Jacob goes, I'm not going to let you go. You better give me a blessing. So what does God do? God asks him what his name is. Now, I'm going to ask a common sense question. I know everybody in here already knows the answer to it. I know you're smart. But I'm going to ask the common sense question because how we answer that question is going to directly affect the way we read this text. Does God not know what Jacob's name is? Of course he does. He doesn't need Jacob to tell him his name. So why does God ask Jacob his name? 
because he wants Jacob to say it, right? Why? Because Jacob's name is not simply a name. It's a testimony of who Jacob is. Jacob finds himself in a conversation where he has to look God in the face and say the words, I am the cheater. I'm the cheater. Jacob has to confess who he is before this holy God. God doesn't need Jacob to tell him his name. Jacob needs Jacob to tell God what his name is. So how does God respond to him? Not anymore, you're not. From now on, you're going to be called Israel. Israel means the one who has striven with God. This opens the door for us to answer question number four. How does Jacob's story preach the gospel? It's because God is most assuredly in the identity-changing business. That's what God does. So whether we're talking about Abram becoming Abraham or Sarai becoming Sarah, whether we're talking about uh, Simon becoming Peter, Matthew becoming uh, Levi becoming Matthew, no matter who we're talking about, a whole host of others. It seems to be a consistent pattern in the Bible of Jesus changing who people are. But this goes way deeper than just the name. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church in the first century, but he's not pulling something out of nowhere here. Paul didn't just have this good idea and say, you know what? We can teach that when people start following Jesus, that he makes them a new person. No, what Paul is doing is he is tapping into a theme that happens over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible. To know God is to be changed by Him. Our God changes, folks. Whether we're talking about me or we're talking about you, He changes people. And so the question that has to be asked today is this. What identity did you walk in here with? What identity did you walk in here with? How do you you define yourself? How do others see you? For some of you, your perceived identity is that you're worthless. And whether it's because you're your own biggest critic or there are literally people who are constantly berating you. You see yourself as a screw-up. And listen, maybe you earned it. Maybe you come by that rightly. Jacob earned the name the cheater. He owned it. But our God is in the identity-changing business. He takes those who are worthless and he bestows love upon them and he declares them to be worthy. 
For others, though, your perceived identity is that you're pretty awesome. In fact, you're downright full of yourself. Things have always just kind of clicked for you. Landed where you wanted them to land, right? So you've kept your nose clean or maybe you've hidden better than others that you kept your nose clean. Maybe you walked in the door this morning knowing that there's a crowd out there who thinks you hung the moon. Jacob did pretty well for himself. He didn't need anybody's approval. In fact, I don't think he cared what anybody else thought. But our God is in the identity-changing business because one day Jacob found himself face-to-face with a God who saw right through him. takes those who carry a false sense of accomplishment and he bestows love upon them and he offers for them to find their rest in him instead of the game they're playing. There was nothing special about Jacob that made him worthy of God's relationship and there's nothing special about you or I either. God looked down and saw the cheater and said, I want that one. And regardless of what identity you carried in here this morning, God is saying the same thing about you. I want that one. This is what the gospel is. Jacob didn't bring anything to the table. Jacob slowed God down. I want that one. What God began with Jacob, he now fulfills in us as he adopts us as sons and daughters. He takes what is filthy and he makes it lovely. He takes what is worthless and he makes it valuable. He takes those who are positionless and he makes them co-heirs with Christ. The gospel is that God takes those who don't have any reason to know him and he makes himself known to them. That's the gospel. And to know God is to be changed by God. So we've got one overarching theme to our series, right? God raised up blank to be a shadow of a more perfect blank to come in Jesus. And so today we learn that God raised up Jacob to be a shadow of a more perfect Jacob to come in Jesus. There was one coming down the pipe who would strive with God in a more perfect way. But he didn't have to have his identity changed first. So how do we respond God's word this morning. Well, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you press in to God, right? You do that through his word. That's the way, the primary way he's given us to know him. That's the primary way we press in, chase after him there. We can take another step. Maybe Jacob's story is familiar to you. You got the promises of God in your back pocket, but you've sought to create an identity for yourself. How's that working? Probably not as well as you hoped. Best case scenario is that that works for you for a little while. But it won't work forever. Today's a good day to repent of that. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We'll have a couple of leaders up front here to talk and pray with you if that's good for you. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Keep hanging out. Keep asking good questions. Keep seeking and searching for the truth. But you can respond this morning as well. How? Maybe you're ready today. This morning.
to meet the one that this story is all about. How do you do that? The Bible says that you repent of your sin and call on him as Lord. That's a big, that's a big step. We get that. Maybe today's the day. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We'll have a couple of folks up front here to, to talk with you and pray with you. I'll be down here as well. Love to walk you through what that means. Let's all respond to God's word this morning. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. Thank you for Genesis. Thank you for the story of Jacob. God, I consistently try to create an identity for myself. I consistently attempt to define my own terms, blaze my own trail. I want so desperately to be seen as the one who figured it out. Sometimes I even go to sinful lengths to do so. But you are a God who sees right through me. You're not impressed by me. There's not much here to be impressed with. But despite the fact that you see me inside and out, you are also the God who loves. And loves in spite of me. And while there are days when I could just as rightly have earned the name Jacob, you instead call me your son. You instead call me yours. You are good. God, for those in here who don't know you today, would you reveal yourself to them? Because to know you is to be changed by you. Would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you draw us closer to each other? Would you help us respond well this morning? In your name we pray. Amen.